you want peace, I want peace, we need to quiet down those shrieking monkeys that we talked about last time. But what if the obstacle to peace is inside our own hearts and minds? Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about learning how to live life with Jesus. This is episode eight, how to grab yourself some peace. There is one time when all babies are adorable. Coincidentally, it's the same time you most want to hold them, and you probably shouldn't. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when the baby is sleeping. That is when we stand over them and we say, oh, she's so sweet, so precious, so perfect. Now, I've noticed that as a grown-up, I don't get called sweet or precious for just doing nothing. Have you noticed that? If someone's going to say that I'm being sweet, it's because I've gone out of my way to do something really nice for them. But not babies. We don't measure babies by their performance. Not yet, anyway. They're the most sweet when they're simply peaceful. Now, I closed out the last podcast with a passage from the ancient songbook, The Psalms, which uses the image of a sleeping, peaceful child. I want to share this verse with you again. I want you to picture this in your mind. See what image comes to mind as I read this to you. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's a beautiful picture, right? Peaceful, still. Hearing those words, I sort of imagine God being like a mother, holding and calming me. Did a picture like that come to mind when I read that verse to you? like a mother soothing her child. That's the way we often relate to God. You know those prayers, right? God, help me calm down. Help me de-stress. Help me let go. God, give me peace. You've prayed those kinds of prayers, right? But listen again. That's not exactly what the passage is saying. I'm going to read the whole thing, not just the verses I shared with you. This uh, psalm is just three verses long. It's Psalms 131. You can look it up and read it for yourself. And this is what it says. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a little weaned child with its mother. I am like a little child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Do you hear what the writer is really saying? I'm not trying to be God here. I'm not trying to solve all the problems that are above my pay grade. Nope. Instead of getting involved in all that drama, instead of getting involved in all that confusion, I have calmed and quieted myself. Check that out. I have calmed and quieted myself. So the peace in this passage isn't some kind of magical divine gift bestowed from above. The peace in this passage is a discipline. It's a practice. Wow. The writer is not asking God to supernaturally bestow peace on them. The writer is taking responsibility for their own peace. How does that sound? Now, there's certainly a kind of peace that God promises to give us. Jesus' words come to mind, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's a great example of God offering the gift of peace. That's a good thing. It's wonderful. But it's not what this psalm is showing us. This psalm seems to be suggesting that peace, or certainly some kind of peace, is the result of something we can do. 
Now, I was thinking about this, these two different kinds of peace, right? Peace that God gives us, peace that we give ourselves. And I thought to myself, I wonder how often peace in the Bible is that supernatural gift and how often it's something we're responsible for. It never even occurred to me before. So I did a quick survey of passages in Scripture that mention peace. Uh, you know, the old word study process that I was taught as a kid. And you know what I found? I discovered that about half the verses that talk about peace in the Bible are clearly referring to peace that we make. Peace we're responsible for ourselves. Here's a few examples. Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Make every effort. Relational peace is hard work. Somebody say amen. You know that. You've got a relationship right now where you're experiencing how hard it is to come to peace. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 11, They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So peace is something we seek, something we pursue. It's not something we passively receive. It's something we go after. Well, that's different. 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I think that we often experience anxiety as the opposite of peace, right? When we're feeling anxious and we've got those worrying thoughts in our minds, you know, the chattering monkeys, our minds aren't very peaceful. In this verse, God doesn't just take away our anxieties. We cast them. Think about that language. That's active. We throw them. We, we take our anxieties and we put them somewhere. That's an action we take. We have effort involved in that sharing of our anxiety and getting peace from God. How about this one? Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule. Apparently, Christ's peace isn't something that just happens to you. It's something you have to allow. Let the peace rule. So Christ has given it, but you can choose to let other things besides peace rule your mind. Think about all of this. God promises to give us peace, and yet there's something we do to take hold of that peace, something we do to experience it, to let it take root in us. I think that's what Psalms 131 is portraying. The author was saying, I calm my soul as if I'm the mother and my soul is the child. So that mother-child image is still there, but it's the author who's making the effort to comfort and calm. It's the author who's making an effort to experience stillness. So how do we do this? How do we nurture a space of stillness within? Especially when our minds are full of this constant buzz and background chatter. You know, exactly what we talked about in the last episode. The monkey mind. All of that busy drone and noise and nagging questions and the voices. All of the social media drama and the pressures of work and the tension of politics. How do we take hold of peace in the middle of all that? Today I'm going to briefly share with you three principles that have deeply helped me in my emotional recovery journey, in my ongoing mental wellness, and in my sense of connection to God's presence. These principles have helped me learn how I can take hold of peace. I hope that they can be helpful to you. The first principle for peace of heart and mind is this. Your thoughts are not you. Pastor and theologian Greg Boyd wrote a little book that I highly recommend to you. I'll put a link in the notes. The book is called Present Perfect. It's a short little book that talks very clearly about how to live in a conscious awareness of God's presence. This is a quote from that book. Many people go through life so completely identified with their thoughts, feelings, and urges 
that they are essentially slaves to them. We don't make the distinction between this particular thought and me. So we just ride the waves of whatever's happening to be affecting us in the moment. But that wave isn't the truth of who you are. The impressions, the mental pictures, the words and feelings that make up your thoughts, they come from all kinds of places. Some of them you initiate, right? I intended to write this sentence. I thought about it, the words came together, I typed them on my keyboard, I'm looking at them now in my notes to talk about them to you. I intended, I initiated those thoughts. But that's not the only kind of thought that you have. It's not even close to the majority of the thoughts that you have. Some of your thoughts are reactions. They just, they just happen, right? Something outside of your mind occurs and it triggers something within you. Someone says something or you see something or you hear something or you smell something and something inside of you is triggered. Right now, these words that I'm saying, they're impinging on your mind. You know, your ear is hearing the noises I'm making. Your brain is translating those noises into electrical signals and then decoding those signals for meaning. And now you're thinking thoughts that have some relationship to what I'm saying. If I wasn't saying these things right now, you wouldn't be having the thoughts you're having, but the thoughts you're having are a reaction. Your mind is far more complicated than that. Some of your thoughts are triggered by something happening right now, but some of your thoughts are triggered by something that happened in the past. That's a memory. And some of your thoughts are being triggered by something that you imagine will happen in the future. That's a worry or a hope. And then, and then on top of that, if you believe that God can influence your thoughts or give you wisdom or comfort you, then some of the thoughts that you are having don't even originate in your will. Some of them have their origination in the divine. And so, and so you're having this mosaic of thoughts in your mind at any given moment that comes from so many places. And most of those thoughts you never decided to have. That's important to understand. If you didn't decide to have some of the thoughts that you're having, that means that your thoughts are not your identity. Your thoughts are not the definition of who you are. Your thoughts are not you. They are simply an experience that you're having, and that's a big difference. Here's why this matters. If your thoughts are you, then you have to go wherever they take you. You're at the mercy of your thoughts. But if your thoughts are just an experience that you're having, that means you can decide if a certain line of thought is helpful for who you want to be. That brings to mind the Apostle Paul's guidance in 2 Corinthians 10.5 when he said, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You see, that's part of growing up in the way of Jesus. We practice having our thoughts come more and more into alignment with who Jesus is. So when you realize that your thoughts aren't you, you discover you have this whole new freedom. You have the freedom to grab a thought and take it captive, right? You can look at it. You can decide, is this a thought worth investing in? Should I put more time and energy into this thought? Is this thought my business? Is this thought leading me to more peace? Is this thought leading me to less peace? Is this thought in keeping with the character of Jesus and who I'm called to be? And then, with no guilt or shame, you can just say, oh, there's a thought I had. It's a thought I experienced but it's not a thought I'm going to continue to nurture, and you let it go. Now, of course, it's not always easy to just let a thought go. We've all had the experience of having thoughts that weren't good for us and deciding we'd rather not have them. But then what happens? They keep coming back, especially when we're trying really hard to not think about that stuff, right? Like, try not thinking about a pink elephant. You can't do it. The pink elephant shows up no matter what. It's like our desire to not think a certain way leads us to think that way more. So the second principle for peace of heart and mind is this. Many of your thoughts 
are simply mental habits. This is one of the reasons why we behave as if we have no control over our thoughts at all, because that's how it is with habits. When we talk about habits, I think most of the time we think about things like biting our nails or being consistently late or checking your phone too much at dinner. You know, behaviors, these little behaviors that we have in our lives. But you see, all those little outward habits, all those visible habits emerge from patterns of thought. Habits start in the mind. See, the way that our brain works is that when a neuron makes a connection, we get a little bit of positive feedback, right? Serotonin, dopamine, all the other tasty brain chemicals. And that particular neural connection, because it was good for us, because it made us feel good, it becomes easier to trigger in the future. And that happens again and again and again until the habit feels second nature to us. In fact, the habit starts to sort of feel autonomous, like it's just a part of who we are. So we know that that's true for things like biting our nails or cracking our knuckles, but guess what? Patterns of thought, and even some patterns of emotion, work in exactly the same way. So for example, let's say that one time I was challenged on something by somebody. And my reaction was defensiveness and anger and blaming thoughts. Totally fictional story. Nothing like this has ever happened to me. And you know what? My reaction, it worked. My anger and my blame intimidated the person and they backed off. And I felt inside of me that self-righteous validation, which is just one interpretation of that sensation of the wash of yummy brain chemicals. It worked. It felt good. And so guess what my brain is going to do next time I'm challenged? Right? That strategy that I tried last time, it worked so well, so the next time that same trigger goes off, it's going to be a little bit easier to do the same thing. I'm going to be angry and defensive again. And if it works again, I'm going to get that same wash of brain chemicals and the whole thing will become even more natural. And if that cycle happens several times over the course of a few months, if that cycle happens many times over the course of a few years, it becomes a well-worn neural pathway. Another way to say all that is it becomes a habit. But here's the trick. The whole mechanism I just described is invisible to us. We are not conscious to the fact that a well-rehearsed habitual pattern is being run in our consciousness. These mental habits, they're like malware. We, we talked about malware last week, right? These little programs that run in the background on our computer. You know, they get triggered by events in our life and they start running and pretty quickly these these thought pattern habits can take up all of our available mental space. These little mental habits are part of that chittering noise of the, of the shrieking monkeys in the background of our mind. That's when we become consumed with worry or anxiety or fear or anger or obsession or whatever the mental pattern is for you. When we realize that these patterns of thought are first, just experiences we're having, and second, oftentimes habits, that opens up a new possibility we don't have to keep running the same old mental code. All of our habits came into being in the same way. Practice, that's it. That old saying, practice makes perfect, it's not really true, you know that, right? Practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes habits. Habits can be replaced in exactly the same way they were formed. Of course, you and I both know that's not easy. It takes attention and care and support, but it is possible, and that's the key point. You and I don't have to live at the mercy of mental habits that keep us from having peace and stillness in our hearts and minds. We can build new habits. Now you might be wondering what this has to do with Jesus. Is this just a psychology lecture now? I mean, how is this related to maturing in Christ? Well, here's how. 
Jesus told us in the upper room, in John's Gospel, that our main work is to abide, to remain. The Psalms also counsel us, be still and know that I am God. Our connection with God grows in a place of stillness. That place, stillness, is where we can most clearly hear the voice of Spirit. So the third principle for peace of heart and mind is this. Stillness is a mental habit. Stillness is not an event. It is not about candles and journaling. It is not about a retreat on a beach. It is not about having a simple life with few obligations. I mean, those things can help, but they don't guarantee stillness. Why? Because we can arrange those peaceful circumstances and still bring with us all that same mental noise. You know it. You've done it before. I learned this in a very painful way. See, I used to live at a much faster pace than I do now. My entire life felt urgent almost all the time. I was sure that this was because of my life circumstances that were so demanding. If you'd been a part of my life then, and if you'd asked me where the problem was, I could point to all these outward things, right? The success of the programs at my church, all the people who needed me, the leadership teams that I was on, the problems that only I could solve, all the expectations that I had to live up to, an overbooked schedule because of all my obligations. I could point to all this stuff out there. When I was working 80 hours a week, I felt stressed and maxed out and overwhelmed. But then circumstances changed, and I began to work less. And you know what? I still felt stressed and maxed and overwhelmed. And then I'd go on vacation, be with my family somewhere far away from my work, and I still felt stressed and maxed out and overwhelmed. And the real kicker came when I had the chance to take a three-month sabbatical. No work at all. No obligations. I didn't have to be anywhere or do anything. And you know what? I still felt stressed and maxed out. You see, it turns out the problem never was out there. The problem was inside of me. Are you with me? I had all of these habitual patterns of thought running in my mind. Everything will collapse if I'm not here. I'm being irresponsible if I'm not being productive. This other person's crisis is my responsibility. I have to help them. I have to fix them. And beneath all those mental habits was an even deeper one a one that I could not name for a long time. You are not lovable, but if you work really hard, you can be valuable. And that feels very much like being loved. So even when I was able to have quiet outward circumstances, I still didn't have peace. Have you been there? Now, did Jesus want to give me peace? Sure. But I was not in a position to receive peace from Jesus because my mind and my heart were already occupied with noisy mental habits that kept me spinning. Getting to the place where I could take hold of peace required learning to think differently. I had to start building different habits of mind and heart. The old pastors had some words that they used to talk about this process of growth uh, they used words like transformation and sanctification. Right? Transformation is about the new life, becoming a new creation. And sanctification, that word meant becoming more holy, right? Becoming more like God in my character. Well, all of that stuff starts in the mind. Even the Apostle Paul knew that. He told us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. This is not talking about taking on new beliefs or new theology. That's a part of a process, 
But this is talking about something deeper, working with the Spirit to change the mental habits you've accumulated through your life. That is how we can begin to pursue peace. That's how we can take hold of it. That's how we can cast our cares on Him. This kind of peace is not a magical gift from God. It's not peace that comes through some supernatural intervention that changes our circumstances and solves all our problems. This is peace that we learn to nurture in the middle of a very real life. May you find the clarity of mind to begin noticing your own mental habits and how they lead you away from peace. And may you have the courage to join with the Holy Spirit in building new mental habits that allow you to take hold of the peace that God offers. Thank you for listening. As I wrap up, I want to give a shout out to some new friends of mine. Two weeks ago, I had the chance to speak at a training event called Helping the Helpers, which was all about helping people who work with people, pastors, counselors, therapists, ministry leaders, to avoid burnout. And working with people is hard. If you do it, you know. It takes skill and training to learn how to serve people in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm hoping to be able to share some of that teaching from that training with you soon. But in the meantime, I want to encourage you to check out the two organizations that put this event on. Team Hobson uh, started this event. It's a husband and wife team, Josh and Risa, great people. They have a ministry calling of caring for leaders, for pastors, and for global workers. And Josh is a chef, Risa is a therapist, and they are going to build a retreat center in Portugal where ministry leaders from all over the world can get cared for and find recovery when they burn out. I want you to check out what they do. You can find them on the internet in a couple of places. I'm going to put links in the notes below. They are good people and they are worth supporting. The other group that sponsored the event was a place called Sanctuary Inn. This is a retreat center on Mount Hood just outside of Portland where I live. Steve and Joanne Price run this beautiful lodge up on the mountain where people who serve people can get away, find renewal, refreshment, and encouragement. So if you're a pastor or a ministry leader in Oregon or Washington, you want to know these people. They could be lifesavers for you or someone you know. So find them and what they do. Uh, their website, I'll also put a link in the notes, uh, Sanctuary Inn is what you're searching for. Now, if you like what you're hearing in this podcast, you can bring it to your people. I'm scheduling speaking engagements through 2019, and I would be thrilled to come speak at your church or retreat or school or nonprofit. I talk about practical spiritual growth, just like this. I talk about why our inner life matters. I also talk about emotional discipleship, where we learn how to grow up emotionally. That's the topic of my book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Power and Purpose of Your Emotions. And I would love to bring this message to your community. If you'd like to check my availability, there's a link in the show notes where we can get that conversation started. I'd also be grateful if you take a moment to rate or review this podcast on iTunes or Apple's new podcast app, since that's one of the best ways to help other people discover it. Feel free to share. That helps a ton. And of course, you'll find show notes for today's episode, including the scriptures I mentioned and all the links I talked about at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash T-A-W-0-0-8. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved. You are known. You are not alone.